All right, turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And this morning, we are going to be taking a look at the story um, of the Jerusalem Council. So Acts chapter 14, what we're going to do is read Acts chapter 14 verse 24 all the way through to Acts chapter 15 verse 35. Okay, so it's a big chunk of reading, but that's all good because it's God's word and this is an amazing story that reveals so much truth. All right, and so I'm going to read from Acts chapter 14 verse 24. Um, and follow along as I read. Then they, that is Paul and Barnabas, passed through Pisidia and came to Panthelia. And when they had spoken the word in Persia, they went down to Atalia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers there. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that my mouth, the Gentiles, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Verse 12. And all, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, 
listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will build the tent of David that has fallen. I will build its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Verse 22 of chapter 15. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Basabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers both, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words on settling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked, risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Then you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Verse 30. <laughs> so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered their congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Cyrus, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Wow. We got a lot to cover today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Oh, what a privilege, what an honor it is to gather and... Take this time to seek to understand who you are, what you've done for us, and what you call us to. 
And so God, this morning, I pray that you would truly work in a way that would leave us speechless. I pray for your word. I can only do so much with sentences and um, outlines and structures. I can only do so much, but God, you need to do the rest by giving supernatural understanding and also bringing change in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. One thing most people don't know about me, being a resident of San Diego, is that I cannot swim. Okay? I wished I could. I've always had a phobia of water. I remember when I was in primary, elementary school and um, we would go for swim lessons. I just hated the feeling of my ears in the water, water going up my nose. Just didn't like it at all. I'm not a swimmer, and I hope one day to be a swimmer, but we will see how that goes, all right? Once, when I got married, my wife and I took a trip to Cyprus. Cyprus, if you don't know, is in the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful island, Mediterranean island, beautiful. And the reason why we went to Cyprus was because my wife's family are from Cyprus, and she figured, because we're married, she wants to take me home to meet her family. And of course, Cyprus, because it's an island, has lots of like beautiful Mediterranean clear water that you can swim in. One day we're at the beach and we're playing, you know, I was playing volleyball with one of Eleanor's um, nephews, just a young boy. I think he was like 10, 11 at the time. And I'm playing volleyball with him in the water and you know, I'll just smash it and he'll swim and go and get it. And one moment, he hit it hard and it went way over into kind of like the deeper end of the water. And because I was standing and I could see my knees in the water, I just thought, you know, I'll just go and grab the water. And so I started walking and the more I walked, the deeper it got and I needed to start swimming. But I needed to start swimming, then I thought to myself, no, I can't swim, I better turn back and go and get help. But because I'm a man and I've got pride, I didn't wanna turn back and say to a young 11 year old, hey, can you help me get that ball just over there? They don't wanna do that. And so I kept going and I was like, I can reach it. And the ball was just there. And so I started to kind of swim thinking that I can still plant my feet on the ground and realize that I was deep. And then I started to panic, all right? I'm flapping away going, help, somebody help me. And no one can really hear you. And I'm like, this is it. I've been married for a few months and I'm gonna drown and die. What a story this would be. Panicking, and it probably wasn't that deep, but you know, psychologically, it just felt deep, panicking. Luckily, I'm still alive. <laughs> Guess who came to save me? That 11-year-old. As I'm panicking, he comes along, holds me. 
and I'm way bigger than him. And he just sort of swings me to the shore. And when we get to the shore, I'm like, just leave me alone, leave me alone, get over there. Don't want to see people see that you've saved me, all right? That day, the young kid saved my life. He saved me from drowning. Salvation can be defined as the act of saving or rescuing someone from harm or danger. Now, the word salvation, okay, has a different meaning based on the context in which it's being used. And so in my situation, I said, that kid saved me, okay? If you speak to um, a fireman, firemen talk about saving all the time, or lifeguards, they talk about saving. It has a different meaning based on the context in which it's being used. If you've been a Christian for some time, you're not only very familiar with the word salvation, but you also have a basic understanding of what salvation is. And so if you're a Christian and I ask you, what is salvation? You'd probably say salvation um, is the fact that Jesus has saved me from my sins and now I'm in a relationship with God because of Jesus' rescue of me from sin. You, you would say something like that. And if you're new to Christianity, You've probably heard Christians use the word salvation all the time and wondered what are they talking about, all right? Why are Christians so obsessed with the word salvation? What are they saved from? Why are they saved? How are they saved? What's salvation all about anyway? Our passage this morning is a written account of one of the most significant events in the history of Christianity. It's known as the Council of Jerusalem and it was a game changer for Christianity. And as we investigate this key moment in church history, we'll find that our investigation is more than just another history lesson. But we'll discover most importantly, that we'll gain a better understanding of what salvation truly is. Okay, because we, we talk about it. Someone saved, are you saved? Salvation, all of that. But this Acts 15 Jerusalem Council significant moment in the history of the church will will deepen our understanding of what salvation is we will discover that for christians salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with jesus in other words salvation is not based on who you are and what you need to do but salvation it's all about who jesus is and what he's done for you and so first Salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. Why? Because salvation is for everyone. Okay? Look at Acts 14, 26. It says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, they, that is Paul and Barnabas, where they had, commended, they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And so Paul and Barnabas, as you've been with us in Acts, they've been on this lengthy first missionary journey. 
okay? And now they return to the city of Antioch after a successful first missionary journey. And at the time, Antioch was the largest city in that part of the Roman Empire. It was also home to one of the most vibrant and healthy churches in that century. The church in Antioch was where Jesus' followers were first called Christians. That is Christ ones, okay? If you want to know when the first time someone called someone Christian, it was in Antioch, in that city. It was also the same church that commissioned Paul and Barnabas for their first missionary journey. And so the church in Antioch, Okay, they're super excited right now. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas are back from their first missionary journey and they can't wait to hear about all that God did in and through them. Look at Acts 14, 27. It says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentile. And so Paul and Barnabas report to the church that um, all that God had done for them. And as they went from city to city announcing the gospel, they witnessed God do extraordinary things. But the highlight of their trip was witnessing God actually, right? You read it, the last part of verse 27, right? Was God opening a door of faith to the Gentiles. What does this all mean? This is key, all right? They saw with their own eyes Gentiles, that is non-Jews, okay? If you're reading the Bible and you ever see the word Gentile in there, Right? It basically means anyone that is not Jewish by blood. Okay? And so most of us here are Gentiles. Okay? It's not the most pretty, cool name, but that, that's the name for it. Okay? Paul and Barnabas witnessed God save non-Jews on their missionary journey. Now, this was a big deal. And this was a highlight of their trip because Christianity started among the Jewish people and as a result at that time it was viewed by many as a religion for for Jews. Ross Ramsey um, puts it this way he helps us here he says men of Jewish origin had established a church and many of those who first put their faith in Jesus were either Jews or God-fearing Gentiles who had grown up worshipping as the Jews did. So Jewish culture was part of the early Christian expression. That's huge. Okay? We think of Christianity now and we think Christianity is American. <laughs> right? Maybe. I think it's British. But, whatever, right? But originally, um, Jewish culture was part of the early Christian expression. But 
God obviously had other plans. Even though Christianity started as a Jewish messianic movement, it was not just for Jews, but its message, the gospel, the salvation Jesus offers was for all humanity. Jesus didn't die to save Jews alone. He died to save everyone, everywhere, who believes and so Paul and Barnabas returned from their mission trip and yes God did some incredible things but they're super excited about the fact that non-Jews Gentiles believed in Jesus and were gifted with the Holy Spirit now the salvation of non-Jews revealed to followers of Jesus right back then and it reveals to us right now here in modern America this is what it reveals to us this that salvation is not limited to a certain group of people but salvation is for everyone everywhere who believes okay think about it it's huge okay if you're a Christian you are saved not because of who you are but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you the fact that your sins are forgiven and you now have a right relationship with the God of the universe has nothing to do with your ethnicity or your background or your social status or your race but it has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he's done for you Jesus's death is the reason your sins are forgiven Jesus's resurrection is the reason that you have a right relationship with God that will only get better as you cross over into eternity salvation is for everyone everywhere who believes and puts their trust in Jesus my question is super simple all right do you believe this do you believe that no one okay no one is beyond saving do you believe that no person is beyond God's grace As a church, we are passionate about being on mission and making them mature in disciples. And as we endeavor to be on mission, all right, we must never forget the truth. We must never forget this truth. We must never forget that the gospel is not bias. We must never forget that the God of the gospel doesn't show favoritism. We must never forget that God is willing to save everyone everywhere who believes in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here, right, and you're not a Christian, right, and you're checking and exploring Christianity or whatever, and if you've not yet received salvation, and you're like, what is all of this about? Salvation and Jesus and getting saved and having a relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you're just thinking and exploring, let me just tell you this. 
that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how colorful and weird your past is, today, right now, today, you can receive the power of God to save you from your sins, to save you from your guilt, to save you from death and judgment and hell and bring you home to ever increasing joy in his presence forever and ever. That is a possibility for you today. Salvation is not for everyone everywhere who believes. But second, salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. Why? Because salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. And so, after an encouraging mission trip, Paul and Barnabas are back at their home church in Antioch, all right? They're encouraged by the many things God did, especially the salvation of non-Jews. But the mission, right? We've been looking at it from, from in the previous chapters. The mission was super challenging. They encountered so much opposition, all right? Um, they were thrown in jail. Uh, they were thrown out of cities. They were, they were stoned and left for dead. There was always someone who didn't like what they were doing and made life difficult for them. And so being back to their home church in Antioch was a respite. It was a season of rest and renewal, a well-needed break from the challenges of ministry and missions. But unfortunately, it's not long before more drama comes their way. And this time, it's in the form of a position from people in their own church family. A group of Christians who are Jews, that is Jewish Christians, arrive in Antioch from Judea, Jerusalem, and start doing this. They start promoting this teaching that contradicts everything Paul and Barnabas have been teaching about the salvation of non-Jewish Christians. And so the question is, what were they teaching? Look at Acts 15, verse 1. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What? Circumcision is a requirement for salvation? Yeah, that, that's what they're saying. So these groups of people have come and they're very much like, look, you know all these non-Jewish Christians, they're not really Christians. They're not truly saved. Why? Because they haven't. All the males haven't been circumcised yet. This all raises an important question, okay? Before we judge them, before we're like, they're so legalistic, we have to understand what's driving um, all of this, okay? And so the question is, um, what, what, what's driving this? Why are these Jewish Christians convinced that non-Jewish Christians need to be circumcised in order to be truly saved? Okay, here's the backstory, all right? Here's some history for you, 
all right, for all the history nerds here. All right, here we go. Historically, the Jews have always been God's chosen people. Always been God's chosen people. And one of the things that made them distinct from other people groups was the laws they lived by. God chose them as his very own people and gave them laws to live by. And it was these laws that made them distinct from everyone else. You're a Jew, not just by blood, but because you live by certain laws. And most of these laws can be found in the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. And if you read the Torah, what you'll notice is that there are a lot <laughs> of laws. A lot of laws. But there are several that were a key part of the Jewish culture. And they were observing the Sabbath, eating kosher, and the circumcision of males, okay? If you think about the Jewish culture, everybody knows, right? To be Jew is to observe the Sabbath, to be a Jew is to eat kosher, and all male Jews are circumcised. You know that, we all know that. This is exactly why these Jewish Christians have showed up in Antioch demanding that non-Jewish males need to get circumcised in order to be truly saved. At the heart of what they're demanding, um, they are convinced that to be a Christian is to take on every part of the Jewish culture. If Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, this is what they're saying. Anyone wanting his salvation would have to become a Jew first. Is that all clear? All right. This new teaching okay, about circumcision and Christianity and following the laws is totally undermines everything Paul and Barnabas believe and have experienced. And so when Paul and Barnabas hear about this, they're like, no way. No, hell no. Right? This is, this is heresy. No. They, they're super mad. And so what they do is that they confront them, okay, and they accuse these men of heresy and what happens is that this whole confrontation sparks this full-on hostile debate between them look at verse 2 it says and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension I love it no small dissension and debate with them Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so this, this, this disagreement is intense. It's so polarizing. And so the leaders in the church of Antioch are like, we can't deal with this. We don't know what to say and do to resolve this. And so what we're going to do is send them to the leadership council in Jerusalem. And we know for sure that they are wise and experienced enough to come up with a solution look at verse 4 of chapter 15 when they came to Jerusalem 
they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. And so when Paul and Barnabas arrive in Jerusalem, they're greeted and warmly welcomed. And what they do is that they just share updates of what God has been doing. And obviously they talk about how um, non-Jews are receiving salvation and God's doing an amazing work amongst the Gentiles and non-Jewish people. But once again, some of the members of the church who believed circumcision was necessary for salvation speak up and express their disagreement look at verse 5 look at it but some believers who belong to the party of the pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law they, they just they're not giving in they're not giving up and they're like hey paul barnabas look we appreciate you guys, you guys are awesome. Love your radical faith. Love all that you've been doing on mission. But we just don't agree. Gentiles truly became Christians without having to go through circumcision. They have this weird obsession with circumcision. How weird is that? It's crazy. And so the major leaders of the church in Jerusalem uh, have heard enough have heard both sides and so what they do is they hold a meeting to discuss this issue and so after a long debate Peter who's a spokes spokesperson um, stands up and begins to share um, and he talks about how he personally has seen and experienced God save um, Gentiles non-Jews and then in verse 8, Peter goes on to say how um, he, he's witnessed God not just save them, but um, gift them with the Holy Spirit in the same way Jewish Christians receive the Holy Spirit. And then what Peter does is he concludes his whole address by stating what they believe about salvation. Look at verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus as they will. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And so as soon as Peter is done, James, who is the brother of Jesus, he chimes in. He agrees with Paul and Peter, and what he does is he appeals to the writings of the prophet Amos, and he uses it to support uh, the fact that Gentiles are included in the family of God without the burden of the law. Um, and then James concludes his speech with his opinion on this whole matter. Look at verse 19. He says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, circumcision or the observance of any other Jewish law is not needed for non-Jewish Christians to be saved. And so after many hours of debate, and I don't know how long, it was a long time of debate and research and weighing all the evidence and considering everything that has been said, the Jerusalem Council, who are the major leaders of the church at the time, reach a conclusion about this whole matter. They agree with James's proposal. In verse 19, they agree that circumcision 
or the observance of any other Jewish law is not necessary for non-Jewish Christians to be saved. And what they do next is they write this official letter explaining their decision. Um, verses 22 to 29 contains a copy of the letter. In the letter, they ruled that non-Jewish Christians did not need to get circumcised to be saved. That they were freed from the burden of circumcision. Jews and non-Jews would be saved in the same way, not by law-keeping, circumcision, or anything else like that, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, this decision was revolutionary. Did you guys realize that if you're a Christian, you're part of a church, this is part of our history. This is part of our history. This happened thousands of years ago. If you're reading Acts and you're reading a lot of the stories in the New Testament, especially, you should say, man, like, this is our history. This decision was revolutionary for the church. Why? Because it concludes that Jesus, who's the Jewish Messiah, is also the risen King of all nations. And to be a disciple of Jesus, listen clearly, to be a disciple of Jesus is not based on ethnic identity or following the laws of Judaism, but it's fully based on trusting him and living by Jesus' teaching. Salvation, the fact that you are saved, has nothing to do with you and everything to do with what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. You are not saved because of who you are and what you need to do. You are saved because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. There is nothing more you need to do to be saved because Jesus has done all he needed to do to save you. Salvation is not earned by us. It's earned by Jesus for us. <laughs> Tim McKee from the Bible Project says this, people are saved only by trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. For most of us here, we're like, yeah, man, I believe. I believe that I am saved, I am justified through faith alone in Christ alone. But my struggle, and I'm sure your struggle is, that we believe this, okay, intellectually, but at times this belief has no effect on how we live. Let me explain. 
We may believe that salvation is a free gift we receive, but sometimes we live like salvation is a free gift, right? We have to earn. All right? It's free. Just imagine someone coming up to you, <laughs> giving you a gift, and saying, look, I bought you this Ferrari. And you're like, what do I need to do? For real? You bought me a Ferrari? Um, should I give you money for it? Should I, you know? At times, we believe this, but it has no effect on how we live. Every time we feel the need to earn or keep God's love by what we do, we are actually questioning our salvation. And so, the big question for you this morning is, how have you been trying to earn God's love and acceptance through what you do? How have you? What's your go-to thing all right, that you believe will earn God's love and acceptance? How have you been trying to earn God's love and acceptance? Maybe it's by your church attendance. You're like, as long as I can get to church every Sunday, God will love me more. Maybe it's your generosity and giving. If I give more, God will love me more. The more I give, the more God loves me. And you make a song out of it and you make t-shirts. I don't know. Maybe it's by your serving. Like we talked about serving, right? And we talked about we need people. And some of you are like, yeah, I want to serve. But if you're thinking to yourself, like, man, I, I, I need to serve because I've done really bad things and I've sinned horribly and I just need to do something because I think God is ups upset with me and as long as I do something for him, he will love me. Maybe it's your Bible reading. Maybe it's your prayer life. I don't know what it is. All of these things are awesome. We want you to be committed to the local church and be present as much as possible. We want you to be radically generous. We want you to be serving like crazy for Jesus and showing up and setting up stuff for all of that. We want you to read scripture and pray. We want you to do all of these. But the question is, what's driving your involvement? Is it to earn or keep God's love or is it because of God's love because of what God has done for me I am serving and being generous and all of these things and so how have you been trying to earn God's love and acceptance When we try to earn or keep God's love by what we do, 
what we're doing is that we're trying to save ourselves. And trying to save ourselves is impossible because the only way we can be saved, the only way our sins can be forgiven, the only way we can have a right and legit um, relationship with the creator of the universe, with God, um, the only way we can be guaranteed eternal life is by simply looking to Jesus and trusting in him. Okay, It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. King's Cross Church, may we glory in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He's the hero, y'all, right? He's the star of the show. And the moment we try to take his place, it's the moment we try to save ourselves or sustain our salvation. If you're here, and like I said earlier, and you're new to Christianity and you're exploring, you have an opportunity today to enter into a relationship with the God of the universe. And the best thing about this all is that you don't need to earn it by doing anything. You simply have to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am a sinner, okay? I, 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 I am really wretched and my motives are impure and I'm really horrible and, 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 and I cannot do anything to cleanse myself and save me from myself. Jesus, you're the only one. You are the only one. Because you died, my sins are forgiven because three days later, um, you had victory over death by resurrecting. I now can have an everlasting relationship with God. Salvation has nothing to do with who you are and what you can do, but it has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So King's Cross Church, once again, may we glory in Jesus. All right, if you're gonna be a part of this church, we're here to exalt Jesus. Jesus is the hero. We wanna be all about Jesus because it's in Jesus that we have joy, everlasting joy and satisfaction. It's in Jesus that we are guaranteed eternal life. And so Jesus is alive and he's at work and he's been speaking today. And so the question is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to relate to him? Let's pray.
Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would be gracious and merciful to us by helping us understand who you are more and what you've done for us. God, for many of us, these truths are very familiar. But Jesus, I pray that you would provide us with a supernatural understanding, an understanding that goes beyond, Father, like what I've been able to say and what we already know, a deep and supernatural understanding of who you are and what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus. May our salvation not just be something we talk about. May our salvation not just be a past experience, but may our salvation, the fact that you have saved us through your life and, and death and resurrection, may our salvation shape and affect everything we do in your name we pray amen